Welcome to the Disney at Work podcast, bringing magical ideas to improve your world from the happiest place on earth. Your host is J. Jeff Kober, author, speaker, and consultant to organizations around the globe that look to bring best of Disney ideas to their workplace. this edition of Disney at Work, where we're going to talk about safety. It's interesting because for some time now, I've actually wanted to host a series of podcasts that focused on Disney's four keys of safety, courtesy, show, and efficiency. These are the standards that are taught on day one when cast members first join the organization. And they're implemented throughout the entire experience. As I got ready to prepare what I thought would be the first podcast, which would be on safety, a particular event occurred, which was an accident at the new Disney Skyliner. A collision of several of the um, uh, cabins resulted in guests being suspended in air for up to three hours while they were being rescued. Uh, we are going to cover that today and we're going to talk about Disney's approach to safety. It is a business focus podcast today. I must tell you right up front, we're going to talk about um, how you apply these ideas back to your organization. But know that if you are just a traditional Disney fan, you may be uh, quite surprised and quite fascinated as we kind of take the layer off of the magic to show what goes on from a safety point of view underneath it all. And so please join us for this podcast. And please note that there is also a notes page at Disney at Play and Disney at Work um, to kind of guide you and to kind of uh, illustrate some of the things that we'll be talking about during our podcast today. You know, safety is everywhere at Disney. There's so many examples of how safety can show up in park attractions, in resorts, in uh, pools, in buses, in ordinary simple activities like sitting down for a meal. Consider the of just a few of the highlights I want to bring to you to mind. Disney employs patented smart seat belts on attractions like Indiana Jones Adventure that's linked to a control system. Under normal ride conditions, once the seat belt is locked and the ride is underway, it cannot be unlocked. Wonder what goes on late at night at the Tower of Terror? It's called Mickey After Midnight. Every night, maintenance crews are on hand to inspect vehicles, tracks, and facilities and make sure they're ready for the next day. On scheduled evenings, cast members are practicing emergency evacuations in the event of an emergency. Por favor, manténgase alejado de las puertas has become more than just a safety spiel asking guests in Spanish to stay away from the doors of the monorail. It's become part of a culture and brand that's resulted in t-shirts and coffee mugs. Who would have guessed that a phrase asking people to stay away from the door, would become such a part of the culture. 
Disney's enormous investment in the wellness and safety of its animal population would surprise any casual park visitor. Assets that need to be kept safe are made secure to include museums that are found throughout the theme parks, places such as in the Hall of Presidents or in the Morocco Pavilion. More than 10,000 individual and group safety orientations were provided to construction workers while Pandora World of Avatar was being built. Type procedures and protocols are in place for the handling of muskets during the Pocahontas section of Phantasmic, which is held nightly. It may look like a prop, but these are real and heavy pieces of equipment. Cast members have access to a free personal wellness app that shares thousands of videos led by experts in fitness, mindfulness, yoga, and healthy eating. While safety is everyone's job, there are several thousand engineers, mechanics, and electricians solely dedicated to safety and maintenance issues at Disney resorts. As you can see, safety plays a role in so many different ways. And while safety is definitely Disney's first uh, of its four keys, um, any organization can have standards in place and any organization will prioritize those standards. So let's talk about principles for implementing your standards. And we'll start with that first one, prioritizing your standards. At Disney, it's called safety first. Uh, safety comes before courtesy, safety comes before show, safety becomes before efficiency. I will have to tell you that there are times where it doesn't necessarily fall in that complete order. Sometimes I've seen efficiency over show or over courtesy. An example would be how after the end of Fantasmic, guests are brought through a backstage location not a great show in order to efficiently get them uh, uh, moved away from the theater and back into the park. However, whether courtesy or show or efficiency are played out in a particular order, know that I very seldom have ever seen, nor can I really name an instance where safety wasn't put first. One example of that was in the development of Test Track. I remember because working at the Disney Institute at the time, one of my jobs was to create places where we would go and visit and showcase great Disney attractions. Well, word came out about this new replacement to the World of Motion experience, and I thought, wow, this would be a great attraction to take um, the guests visiting our Disney Institute customer service program. So we went over there, and the days and months about the time that test track was supposed to open and uh, and we walked the entire uh the entire track and we discussed what this attraction was going to be like but what we didn't do on that occasion was ride it that's because the ride wasn't ready and in fact actually it would be another year before the attraction was ready to actually take guests on the thrill ride that would move them up to speeds of around 65 miles per hour. Uh, that time, during that time, uh, the Orlando Sentinel shared uh, a quote, a quotation made by George Calagridis, 
who was vice president of Epcot at the time, currently um, just um, being moved um, from being uh, the president of all of Walt Disney World. But at the time, George said um, that the delays and problems with the ride aren't evidence of design flaws, but rather demonstrate the extremely high standard Disney is holding itself to before opening such a technologically advanced high-speed ride. He goes on to say, there, aren't, there are many new technologies in this attraction, and the only way to make sure it's safe is to push them to the limit, he said. You intentionally create situations so you understand how the ride reacts. Essentially, while it was a great show and while it was marketed and while guests were wondering, okay, why isn't Test Track open? If it wasn't safe, they wouldn't open it. And so that priority was put in place and it cost Disney an entire year before it could open it. But they made sure that the attraction was safe. Second, identify behaviors that are aligned with that standard. Disney has established service behaviors that suggest across the board, across all of its cast members, the overall expectation that Disney has relative to that particular standard. In Disney's service behaviors, there are three such defined uh, actions. First, I practice safe behaviors in everything I do. Second, know and follow all safety policies and procedures. Third, safely deliver on courtesy, show, and efficiency. I really like that because it's not making safety exclusive of the other three or the other three exclusive of safety, but rather thinking about how do we create a courtesy, courteous experience, a great show, and an efficient process safely. That is, that is fundamental to, um, to a great guest experience. In, in short here, what we're trying to say is, is you need to identify some behaviors. It's one thing to say, oh, we should all be safe, but you have to define what that means and you have to put in place those behaviors which outline what that looks like. Third, once you put in those standards, once you have identified those behaviors, you need to train people on them. Thousands of classes are held annually in Disney parks worldwide that focus on safety. Safety is taught in day one in Disney's traditions. This concept is taught at the beginning of the day, but it doesn't stop there. There are formal and informal training events that take place throughout the property. For instance, um, an example of a formal class entitled Disney's Culture of Safety and Wellness is described as follows. Discover how role modeling safe behaviors creates and supports a culture of safety everywhere. This course provides leaders, executives, and imagineers with the essential skills, knowledge, tools, and resources necessary to foster a culture of safety and wellness. Through an analysis of safety issues and incidents, along with discussions concerning wellness, participants will acquire the key knowledge they need to recognize risks and formulate plans of action to uphold a culture of safety and wellness. This is just one example of a class offered at Disney University. There are other examples that suggest how training can be provided in informal ways, such as hosting safety fairs at the resort where 
Housekeepers, custodial, food and beverage, merchandise, front desk, and other personnel gather to share best practices and participate in games that educate and reinforce safety principles. And then there are certification programs like lifeguard training, which we'll mention in just a few minutes. But did you know that Disney even has a canine team that began way back in 1971, nearly 50 years ago? Even dogs must be trained and certified annually with the North American Police Work Dog Association. As you can see, training is critical. If you're really going to ensure that a standard is met, you have to provide formal and informal training vehicles to deliver understanding of how to practice that standard. Four, beyond training, provide ongoing communication on those standards. There are, there are multiple formal and informal vehicles in place to emphasize living up to the standards that are in place. One such tool that Disney uses is Eyes and Ears, which is Disney's cast member newsletter. Most editions carry a section on safety and wellness. Disney also educates its guests on safety. One of those tools is Wild About Safety, where cards are handed out to the young and young at heart. Here are concepts which are outlined by Timon and Pumbaa of Disney's Lion King fame. They're fun little cards, they're usually comical in nature, but they emphasize important concepts around safety. And so it's not just important to communicate safety to your employees, it's also good to emphasize safety to your customers. In this case, Disney's guests. Five, evolve your standards. The Disney History Institute podcast, episode 77, interviewed Mickey Aronson, one of two individuals who launched the first fireworks at Disneyland back in 1957. The safety standards by which fireworks were launched are much different than what they are today. He would use no safety protection practically other than turning away. Eventually, you introduce the helmet and asbestos vest, but I mean, he started out with really what was two people launching fireworks and practicing very little of anything that you would deem to be safe. Um, it is it, astonishing, and you have to listen to the podcast, but it just shows how a particular standard such as launching fireworks has greatly evolved. In fact, I think he says, oh, they're much safer today. It's just not as much fun. <laughs> well, maybe, but you know, when things are unsafe, it's not fun either. Another example that I draw back off of history is the parking lot tram. I remember that the parking lot tram at Disneyland was probably as big a thrill ride as any Disneyland offered back in the 60s. Um, and uh, it, I, it, it was easy to potentially fall off of one of these things, especially the way the seating was, which faced outward instead of in rows like the uh, trams do today. It, it really was not a difficult thing to lose somebody in the process of taking them out to, uh, uh, to one of the parking lot sections. Nowadays, um, you, you, most guests don't even remember a few years back that trams, which are in rows, 
didn't even have doors at the end of them. Uh, those were only implemented, I would say, eight, eight nine years ago, 10 years ago. Um, it's something that's now just part of the tram, but for decades, those parking lot trams went without any kind of door. In fact, it was astonishing when I got uh, to Castaway Key uh, on, a, on, a, on my first Disney Cruise Line, and that was about a little over five years ago, that the trams there didn't have any doors on it, even though Disney had been doing doors for some time on its trams. I will say there are now finally tram doors on the trams at Castaway Key, but you can see things evolve over time. And, and that's just the reality. What we think of being safe, uh, and, and again, I go back to the, to the 1960s uh, to a, uh, uh, a station wagon that we owned where the third seat of the station wagon faced outward. Uh, or face toward the back, and so you had a full view of any car coming right towards you. I, I cannot even imagine what people were thinking of when they designed this. But I always sat there thinking, is that car going to hit me? Is that car going to hit me? Is that car going to hit me? You know, as I'm sitting here, face to the back, and of course we didn't even focus on seatbelts back then. So it has certainly evolved. Standards evolve. That's the truth of it. And you have to evolve what you expect would be okay 10 years ago, 20, 50 years ago is not okay today. You have to evolve. Six, you want to partner with the best of the best to carry out your standards. A great example of this would be in lifeguarding. Across the country, there are essentially two major organizations that provide lifeguard certification. American Red Cross, many people know that uh, organization, because it does so many good things across across the board. Uh, but there's another organization known as Jeff Ellis and Associates. Of course, any certification on lifeguard training is better than none. Red Cross provides training classes and, uh, and, and there is a rigor to taking those classes in order to being certified. The cost of doing so is even quite reasonable. Jeff Ellis, on the other hand, is a much more expensive program, but it's much more thorough. In addition to rigorous training, they do ongoing research and innovation as to the best approaches to making sure that people are safe and that they are rescued in a time of need. They also require auditing and reserve the right to pull the license of any guard regardless of who they work for. If they don't do their job adequately, they could be pulled off a stand and may even face a period of time where they can't be back on the stand until they prove otherwise or may even not be rehired. Disney actually uses Jeff Ellison Associates for their lifeguards, whether it's a resort pool or if it's Blizzard Beach or Typhoon Lagoon. This is very expensive to Disney's bottom line to do it. Most people don't know that Disney is uh, allows Jeff Ellis to come in and do things such as what we call red ball drill, where they'll throw a red ball. Now, guards are taught in the class that what a red ball is. Red ball means a person. If you see a red ball, regardless, you jump in and you save that ball. It is their way of making sure that they test guards as to whether they're being alert and uh, while they're on duty. They'll film 
and they are permitted to film the guards in terms of how careful they are monitoring their pool. There's supposed to be a 2010 uh, check in which uh, a, a lifeguard has a particular section of the pool that they are supposed to be observing, and they should be able to obs uh, observe that uh, section of the pool within a 10 second period. And if something's going wrong, they should be able to get to that um, individual within 20 seconds. So theoretically, no one should be in trouble more than 30 seconds before they have help on hand right there for them. Um, and Jeff Ellis is able to go in. Disney pays them a ton of money to do this auditing. And if something's not right, they're able to pull a guard and say, um, this guard cannot work until they go through more training or, um, or you simply need to replace this guard with someone else because they are too casual in their work. Which brings up another point. Uh, Disney creates a, and allows accountability for living up to their standards. In this case, with Jeff Ellis, uh, they, this is a point of accountability. For safety, Disney meets regulations outlined by a variety of organizations, such as American National Standards Institute, the American Society for Testing and Materials, the American Welding Society, the National Fire Protection Association, and the Association Society of Mechanical Engineers. These societies help create standards, help create regulations, help create certifications that Disney has to meet and lives um, and obliges by. So again, you want to partner with the best of the best to not only carry out your standards, but to make sure you are accountable to those standards. Seven, make sure your own employees are covered by your standards. It's not enough to say safety for guests. Safety should apply to employees as well. Um, safety, employees need to have the same experience of being on the receiving side of your standards. An example of this is a frontline cast member at Disney. Dave Pickford uh, was uh, featured in an Eyes and Ears, again, a place where they communicate their standards. He's a greeter at the Magic Kingdom. He supports cast members by delivering water to them at their stations and is deeply committed to improving the daily functions and safety of his team. He shared the following in Eyes and Ears, quote, I'm always looking at how we can continue to make safety our number one priority while performing my role, he said. Quote, I'm always working and coming up with new ideas to help the team focus on safety. One such idea of Dave's, which was successfully implemented, was using mats at the entrance touch points of Magic Kingdom Park to make cast members more comfortable standing during their scheduled shifts. Again, those are little things, but the little things amount to big things. And all of it together ends up being a total safety experience. Which brings me to my next point, which is eight. Be intentional and be proactive. An example of this is illness on cruise ships. That can be a mess. Um, neurovirus is one such illness which can result from being on a cruise ship. Now, in truth, you are less likely to get the norovirus cruise, uh, norovirus from a cruise ship than from a school daycare facility or a restaurant or a healthcare facility. In fact, there's a 62% possibility of getting norovirus 
um, as opposed to a 0.18% chance on a cruise ship. However, neurovirus is often referred to as the cruise ship disease because when there's a breakout, it's often in big numbers resulting in huge headlines. So Disney has, has to be intentional as a cruise line. It has to be proactive to make sure that norovirus doesn't happen in the first place. And let me tell you, the effort they put toward cleanliness on the ship is immaculate. It seems at night that most of the public spaces, especially public, I mean, public restroom spaces, such as uh, near um, restaurants, are constantly manned the entire time by a crew member to make sure that restroom stays as clean as possible. Disney constantly educates its guests. You need to make sure you wash your hands and scrub them clean. Uh, Disney ships uh, usually rank very high on audits done by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Again, an accountability uh, vehicle there. Inspections done by the CDC have shown that Disney takes cleanliness seriously. Not that they haven't had outbreaks from time to time, but they are intentional about preventing it in the first place. Countless measures are put in place to make sure it doesn't happen. One such example is simply serving tongs. You know, how you go through a buffet in a restaurant and you can reach out and uh, grab those chicken nuggets or, or that pasta using a particular serving tongue or spoon. Um, at Disney, uh, one of the things I found and realized is that those tongs are replaced every 30 minutes during a buffet serving to avoid the spread of contamination of germs. Even though they already are inviting guests before they go into the buffet line to use wipes or to use some kind of hand sanitizer or to, to scrub with soap and water, they are still making sure that those tongues are being replaced every 30 minutes. It's that kind of um, effort, proactive effort, that keeps you from being in trouble later on. It's very intentional on Disney's part. Number nine, create integrity. You can't tell your cast members that safety is important, safety is first priority, provide training, provide consequences on it, and then expect them to deliver on that requirement in a workplace that is unsafe. There must be integrity. It's not just about employees being safe, it's about the workplace being safe. It's about the processes that ensure safety. It's about products and services that are safe. Integrity requires that you act across what we describe as the four delivery systems of people, place, process, and product. Creating integrity is what created these four keys of safety, courtesy, show, and efficiency in the first place. Van France created the original Disney Traditions program back in 1955 when Disneyland first opened. That orientation taught get, um, new employees, new cast members, that Disney creates happiness. We create happiness was the service vision that Disney implemented back then in, the, uh, in those early days. After uh, he got that up and running, he went on to some other projects outside of Disney, but came back in the mid-1960s. And as he went around observing the current orientation and what was going on, he realized that there was a lack of integrity between what was going on 
in what was being stated and shared in the orientation and what was actually occurring on the front line. One example was what was known as Bloody Alley. That was the name given to the Autopia during those earlier years. You may not recall, but Autopia was, is one of those things that like, like parking lot trams, they have evolved over the years. In the early days, the, the, the Autopia didn't even have a center strip. I mean, kids and or adults could run the thing off of the, off of the, uh, off the curb. They could run into cast members. And so cast members who joined up with the Autopia and became new employees for that area were often told, hey, you can forget what you were told in orientation. This is the real this is the real world here. Reality is much different here. That kind of observation on Van France's part led to the development and then implementation of the four Disney keys that have been used ever since for, for over 50 years. And, uh, and is not just taught on day one, but is discussed and showcased and is part of the culture every day after thereafter uh, with cast members. Number 10, never be satisfied. Keep moving forward you can never be completely satisfied that you've done everything possible. It just doesn't happen. This is a mortal world. Things are imperfect. It just means that you are never finished in finding new ways to apply your standard moving forward. Even Disney has to, as Walt would say, keep moving forward in providing a safer experience in this instance. I just had the opportunity to read Bob Iger's uh, new autobiography, The Ride of a Lifetime. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. Um, in his opening chapter of this book, he talks about a significant event, probably the most significant event of his career. In the aftermath of 9-11, improvements were made to uh, park safety on many levels. Many of those requirements played a role, in part, in keeping a gunman from acting on a shooting at Disney Springs. Instead, that gunman ended up across town, and the result was the Pulse nightclub shooting. That shooting occurred at the same time Bob Iger was dedicating a $6 billion theme park in Shanghai Disney. This was a big, major event for Disney. Certainly, uh, Bob would recognize it as perhaps the biggest event of his career, and here he was in a moment where it should be about celebration and about uh, putting uh, attention to a brand new uh, attraction in Shanghai. And yet this event occurs. And while he's going through the festivities of this experience, he's suddenly now gathering details about a nightclub shooting. In one instance, as he's going through this and he's, he's in angst about what has occurred and whether or not any of Disney's cast members, which there were two of them, impacted by the shooting. As he was waiting details, Bob Chapek approached him uh, somewhere in between um, Pirate's Cove and Adventure Isle and, um, and pulled Bob to the side. Bob thought it was more detail about the nightclub shooting, but Chapek's announcement was of a small child, Lane Graves, 
who was dragged to his death by an alligator on the shores of Disney's Grand Floridian Resort. Again, this whole thing was just mounting at the same time he was opening up the uh, Shanghai Disney Resort. Bob speaks very candidly of personal calls made not just as the CEO, but as a father and grandfather addressing this child's parents in the aftermath of this really terrible experience. He would summarize his feelings as follows, quote, as the week described makes all too clear, there are also always crises and failures for which you can never be fully prepared. Few will be as tragic as the events of that week, but something will always come up. This is true not just of the Walt Disney Company, but of any company or institution. Something will always come up. Returning to the festivities of opening up Shanghai Disney Resort, Bob Iger would later say, quote, it was a happy day. It was also the saddest of my career. Truth is, you can never fully perfect any standard you put in place. But you can have peace of mind that you did your very best. That only happens if you are never satisfied and if you keep moving forward to make improvements. Now, given those guidelines, given those concepts, I want to apply them in the scenario of this event which has taken place with the Disney Skyliner. My daughter and I have had some pretty passionate conversations and she has been uh, pretty honest in saying, Dad, you know what? You just always toe the line for Disney and Disney's always perfect and Disney never makes mistakes and Disney... Well, I assure you, I assure you, there are weaknesses in Disney's system. You can't have an organization as big as Disney and not have weaknesses. I will also tell you that um, I have ridden the Skyliner, which is pretty good for me because I have a problem with heights. I don't do certain things that involve great heights, but I trust Disney in riding the Skyliner. And I still trust Disney despite the event which happened, which by the way, happened the same day that my wife and son also rode the Skyliner on that same route that went through the Riviera Resorts, the one between Caribbean Beach and Epcot. There were no casualties in that event, but it did involve what appeared to be three gondolas crashing into each other. In addition, guests had to wait up to three hours to be able to disembark from the system. It's only been in formal operation for less than a month. So it's fair to say, is this safe? Is this really a good thing to ride? Well, in considering the question, note the following. First, the National Ski Areas Association reports 0.138 fatalities per 100 million miles transported compared to 1.23 for cars. So right away, you gotta know that if Disney was to make a transportation choice between cars or vehicles and a, a gondola system, the safe answer would be the gondola system, which has far few, fewer fatalities compared to having um, vehicular transportation. Second, 
the Skyliner is far superior than the former Skyway that used to go from Fantasyland to Tomorrowland and or Tomorrowland to Fantasyland. When you think about the computer and safety systems put in place, when you think about the access systems that are in there, and by the way, we, we should put a link on our show notes page. We have a great uh, video and showcasing of the Skyliner. But, you, but there are terrific systems that move uh, the uh, gondolas offline to allow guests with mobility challenges to easily and comfortably uh, and safely exit the vehicle. Um, without uh, affecting the efficiency of the total system. When you think about the physical toll and requirement that we were on cast members in the old days with the Skyway, you had, they had to schlep that gondola around the corner, get guests loaded in and unloaded, opening and closing doors, and then push them back out into the system to be picked up and carried across um, the park. It is a far superior system. We talk about evolving as a principle. The Skyliner has totally evolved as a transportation system. Third, Disney partnered with the Doppelmayr Garaventa Group to create the Skyliner. We talked about earlier that you want to partner with the best of the best. Disney didn't go off and create its own, you know, Skyway system, own gondola system. They decided to partner with people who do this. This company has produced over 15,000 ropeway installations in 96 different countries. Uh, so you can imagine, you know, you can't get better than this with identifying a group to team up with to create this. Disney has not only invested in rescue vehicles, but in a rescue boat for those sections of the Skyliner that go over water. That largely is the, the route that goes between Caribbean Beach and the All-Star um, Art of Animation resorts. It goes over a large section of water over there. And, and again, one might say, well, why does it go over water? You have to understand, many of these gondola systems that are implemented by Doppelmayr, they go over mountain ranges with valleys that are four, five, six thousand feet below you. I mean, that's the whole idea is to have these incredible views of vistas and everything of that nature. And they go over these kinds of systems. Disney, uh, it goes up a little high in sections, but honestly, I think it for the most part goes lower than what the Skyway was doing back in Fantasyland Tomorrowland. So. I think it's been reasonable in that regard. The Skyliner went through months of testing prior to opening. In fact, I have to say, it kept saying, well, we're opening it on September, was it 29th or 30th? And it was way back in, I want to say May that it was testing or April. I mean, we were seeing these gondolas go back and forth from the station at Disney's Hollywood Studios for months. And I'm thinking, what has taken them so long? Are they having to finish out the... The, 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 the stations or what's going on. It seems like it's taken a long time. The fact of the matter is they went through months of testing prior to opening. And then it tested the system with cast members and their families before permitting the general public to board just to get that familiarity with moving large numbers of people through. So it's it's paid attention to, to testing. And, and with that, they paid attention to providing formal training to the cast members prior to the opening of this of the Skyliner. Now, 
will there will more need to be done to make it safer clearly um when you have this kind of system which i don't know i'm not an insider to what happened on that event my best guess as an outsider would be that there was some kind of software system that when an obstacle was put in play was over was causing that collision to take place maybe it's not a software system maybe there was some object in play that 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 stalled it i don't know but you know what again going back to my last key point you have to never be satisfied you have to keep moving forward and that means in truth that uh, they've got to address these problems and they've got to uh, address what created the collision, resolve it, and move forward. Safety and any standard has to be continually improved on. Even once they figure out what this problem was, it will still have to continually be addressed as to what is needed in order to make it continually safe. Well, so that's my observation on the Disney Skyliner. You have to make your own choice whether you want to take that or some other system to get to and from the parks. I believe that by and large, Disney, again, there are holes and imperfections, but by and large, I think Disney does a very good job on safety. There are other issues outside of safety I'm not very happy with when it comes to Disney, and I'm pretty candid in my podcasts and posts about what they are. But in this instance, uh, I have to say, I think that... uh, that Disney is doing the best thing, the right thing, and the safe thing. Now, you are not Disney. You have your own organization. You may not even have safety as one of your standards. Uh, You have to individualize those standards for your own organization. And one of the things I do is I work with organizations to help develop what those standards are. Some people, they'll attend a, a program or they'll read about Disney standards. And they'll say, oh, well, it should be safety, courtesy, show efficiency for us. Well, maybe if you're also a theme park. But other than that, no. And I've worked with scores of organizations to identifying what is their standards. But regardless of what the standards are, you want to ask yourself the following questions. What standard in your organization has the highest priority? At Disney, it's safety, but in your organization, what is that standard and what has the highest priority? Second, what are the behaviors of everyone uh, who is supposed to be living up to that standard? What are the expected behaviors? Third, how do you formally and informally train people on those standards that you want them to live by? Fourth, how do you continually communicate the importance of those standards? on a daily basis. Next, how are you partnering with the best of the best and delivering that standard at its highest level? Ask yourself, how are you going to make sure standards you establish today are higher than the ones you've held previously? You have to continually evolve. Next, ask yourself, how are you intentional and proactive about guaranteeing that standard is in place? Ask yourself, how do you create integrity among your standards so that your standard can be seen applied across your people, your place, your processes, and your products? And then finally, what actions will you take to demonstrate you are never satisfied 
and will never finish living out your standards. To know more about the evolution of Disney's service behaviors, we'll link a, a post on Disney at work. This concludes this podcast that focuses on this particular Disney key, safety. We'll have a chance over the weeks to come to focus on the other Disney keys, courtesy, show, and efficiency. So please be on the lookout. Better yet, please subscribe to this podcast so you have access to it whenever we have a podcast coming out. We do this for a living. We help organizations be excellent. So if you have an organization and you need support, whether it's customer service, whether it's engaging your employees, whether it's leading and being the very best you can be, contact us, let us know. We offer workshops and seminars, books, and online tools, all sorts of vehicles to help you become the best organization possible. You wanna make sure that you can rise to your very best and we are here to help you deliver to that. So thanks for joining us. Please check out our podcast, check out our posts at Disney at Work and also as if you're a fan, disneyatplay.com. Be certain to take a look at um, our uh, videos that are available on YouTube under uh, J. Jeff Kober. Whether it's work or play, remember, follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day.